0: Welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about the saints with your hosts, Andrea and Lena. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Hello. Welcome back. We are so excited to be here with you guys again Yeah. for a Lenten edition episode. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Lentz who... Lentz... <laughs> What was that? About (laughs) Lenten. I meant to say saints. (laughs) I'm delirious. (laughs)
1: We're We're off to a good start. Yeah,
0: we're talking about saints who uh, kind of embody the Lenten practice of almsgiving. Mm.
1: And Lena's going to tell us about almsgiving. Sure. Okay. According to the catechism, almsgiving is one of the three Lenten practices. Of course, it's prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. And According to the catechism, almsgiving is defined as donating money or goods to the poor and performing other acts of charity. Um, So you can think of it as obviously the literal translation of donating to the poor um, or servicing the poor. But also I think we can think of almsgiving as using our time, talent, treasure in Mm -hmm. some way um, to those who are in need. Um, and kind of broadening that idea of the impoverished, um, which I want to talk about with my saint for sure. Um, but it's just a beautiful way to use what we have in order to give to those less fortunate than us. So that's kind of the idea of it.
0: Yeah. Um, and like I knew there's so many ways to do almsgiving. It can be like you said, it can be your time or um, just offering, I don't know. I, do you want to offer ideas? <laughs> offer ideas of yeah. how to practically do yeah. that?
1: Yeah. I think definitely um, service-oriented projects, Yeah, um, you know, for, I think that there is an importance to connecting with the poor, mm-hmm. that Jesus really lives in, in that place. And yeah. so there is something that it does to the soul when we connect um, to people who are really are impoverished by physical needs yeah and so connecting there in some way form or fashion is probably just formationally just something that adds to the depth of our soul and um so that can be either through money but if it's not money it can be um service Mm -hmm. what are other any other ideas yeah
0: i know i've like i'm thinking about the people i've kind of met in ministry throughout the years and there's been some cool examples like i knew a missionary wasn't it okay maybe it wasn't her but i knew or heard of someone who like would grow out their hair like oh, really yes. long uh-huh. and then like every other month or every so often they would donate their hair
1: that's beautiful and like get it
0: cut really short yeah um so i thought that was a like a really cuz we don't think about like donating hair but she was like I'm donating this too there's an organization that does like makes wigs for kids with cancer
1: and and I that's something that even kids could do right that don't have money like it's yeah that they could feel empowered to do yeah
0: or like um I try to I'm not great about it depending on like my life season but like I've been um slowly like purging clothes that I just like am holding on to yeah I haven't worn them in forever Um, And I keep saying like, no, I'm going to wear this. But finally I was like, you know what? I haven't worn this in two years. I don't think I'm going to go to a fancy cocktail party anytime (laughs) soon. And so I just kind of started making a pile of clothes. And then um, I got it all together and donated it this week. So that's beautiful. Yeah, just things like that. I knew someone who, okay, actually, this was a boss I had. If If anyone could have a boss like Michael Scott in real life, this was this guy. Oh, my goodness. Was that
1: like a blessing? No,
0: I was going to say it's funny on the show, but in real life, it's not funny. (laughs) Anyway, he only drank Diet Coke. He didn't drink water. Wow. Like any water. He didn't drink milk. I didn't know that was possible. only drank. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it was kind of scary. He only drank diet coke, but for Lent he went cold turkey and gave it up.
1: Well, good for him. And only
0: drank well, water and then the money that he saved buying like <gasps> literally oh. cuz he went through like a case a day it was crazy. Wow. Um insane. Yeah, he would donate the money from his what Medical he would normally spend- <laughs> 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 I know, right? Um yeah, so he would do that which I thought was a cool That's beautiful. Really cool That's sacrifice, like sa- sack fasting Berry. and abstinence. Yeah. So I like it. how like that one was connected. Yeah, um, I like that. So, yeah, so many cool different ways to do that. Um, and I feel like it's often the forgotten part of Lent because everyone yes. knows, like, I need to, like, add in a prayer practice or I need yeah. to give something up. Like, that's right. the big one. What are you giving up? But I think yeah. everyone forgets the almsgiving part. The so.
1: almsgiving. Yeah, I think that I feel like Sister Miriam said something about, um, like, the prayer is our relationship to mm-hmm. God and fasting is our relationship to ourselves. And almsgiving is our relationship to others. Oh. Um, so it like completes that yeah. full circle. And so um the saints that we picked, I bet, will really personify that. I'm yeah. excited to talk about that. But first our snacks. Snacks. Okay. Who wants do you want me to go yeah. first? Okay. So we kind of like pre-snacked. We did. So just full transparency Um, because Andrea came over and she brought her snack and I gave her my snack. Yeah. Mine was a liquefied form of a snack. Delicious. (laughs) And it's on track with my saint. Oh yeah, it is. I like to coordinate. Um, And I gave her a properly made Indian chai.
0: Yes. What'd you think of it? Delicious. I actually love chais because I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah. Um, And so, and I like you know just like a plain green tea with honey and lemon is delicious. Ooh, but nice, sometimes yeah. you want something more substantial. Like yes. I wish I could order like a fancy iced coffee, but I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But like an iced chai yes. is my favorite, and I've been trying so hard to learn how to make it because I was spending like gazillions of
1: dollars expensive. And yeah. chai
0: is not expensive to make.
1: It's not. So, I, so I tried next really time hard to make you an iced chai. This time I gave you the hot one. Yeah. But I have a stance about chai, and I need to talk about okay, it. Okay, tell me. Okay, first, chai, or like the Indian way to say it is chaya. Oh, I um, didn't even know that. Yeah. But it's tea with milk. Yes. Like kind of like a black tea with spices. Yeah. Um, made with milk. That means like not just like added in at the end. It's like you boil the milk. Oh, I didn't traditionally, know that. Yeah. Traditionally in India, I've seen them make it where it's just full milk, like there's no mm-hmm. water. Um, and then they, they boil the milk, and they put the tea bags in, and mm-hmm. then- um, and then you can add sugar and, um, spices at the end too. Mm-hmm. So the way I made it for you though, is I made it like kind of like half water, half milk. Cause, mm-hmm. um, I figured that would probably be a good balance, but I, I'll, the tea bags that are here are a little less like concentrated. So sometimes, That's, yeah. Cause I've, I've tried making
0: it in after you told me I tried making the milk and I felt like it didn't like fully saturate the liquid right of the
1: tea yeah the tea is not I don't want to say weak but it's just not as like yeah spiced so I generally do two tea bags like if I'm making two cups of tea like for me and Royce I'll do three tea bags Mm -hmm. and that's just like the the perfect intensity yeah um and so and then I just add some crushed cardamom on top which because it gives it kind of that like nutty earthy flavor yeah but my thing is People should not be saying chai tea. Oh, yeah. Because that chai is tea with milk. Yeah. And then you're saying tea with milk, tea. And then some people go to the point of chai tea latte. And that's just bananas to me because yeah. it's like chai looks like tea with milk, with tea, with frothed milk. Yeah. It's, it's that's just too much. Too, too much. Just yeah. say chai.
0: They, yes. I did know that. I was educated <laughs> enough in that. Awesome. That. So I just say a nice chai or a chai.
1: Yes. That's so, perfect.
0: But yeah, I love them. So I felt very blessed, and Aww. also I do want to learn how to just make them. Okay, I'm gonna. We're
1: I gonna need, have a little. I need to know. Chai yeah. lesson.
0: Lately, I've been switching to matcha because I feel like that's been easier to make for yeah. me. But I, yeah, but I feel like the right tea bags are essential. Yeah, I just haven't found the right chai, but I found good quality matcha. Oh, nice. So I've been able to make matcha lattes, yes. um, but yeah, it was great. Any Indian felt- grocery
1: store there's so
0: many what have I been doing of course why didn't I think of that okay (laughs) why didn't okay I'm going today right now um so my chai was delicious uh my snack was a delicious
1: beautiful cupcake it was amazing
0: I have okay I'm really proud of those cupcakes and I went through a phase in college where I was obsessed with sprinkles
1: yes and I
0: feel like it was like as good as sprinkles I'm gonna just go there and be
1: bold. I'm gonna assessment. vouch for you because it was I'm not I'm not biased here just because I love it, <laughs> But it was just properly delicately flavored.
0: It was a beautiful cupcake. Mm-hmm. It was a churro cupcake. So it was like a cinnamon cake and then like a cinnamon sugar like Oh my crust. gosh, my mouth wa- my
1: mouth is watering, right? And
0: now. When I think about it, I get hungry for them. And then the frosting was a cinnamon buttercream. But like the backstory and why I had to share with Lena is that I made them for my husband's birthday and he spit it out because he doesn't like, and I know, okay, so here's the thing. I know he does that. He's a weirdo. He spits out like, for example, I love dark chocolate raisins. He'll like suck off the chocolate and then like spit out the raisin. He does that with lots of things like Snickers to, okay, it's a weird thing. So I knew
1: he Maybe did that. Maybe he just likes chocolate.
0: I don't, yes, he did ask. Okay, he did ask for a chocolate cupcake. And I was like, no, you're going to love these. Because he loves churros. So I thought he would love it. Best combination. To be fair. He did say I, I, he wanted chocolate. And I was like, this is a surprise cupcake. You're going to love it. It was a surprise. So I know he does that. But the thing, and I, because I had to pray about this. Because the fury of seeing him spit out my delicious cupcakes. Yeah,
1: the lack of appreciation. Yes.
0: So I really prayed But everything is harder with a baby, like everything, especially my baby. It
1: feels like (laughs) this age, especially.
0: Everything is is hard. Yeah. So when I stay up late to make the best freaking cupcakes I've ever had, right, and you spit it out. So then I went on a mission. I was handing them out to everyone, so everyone could be like. So I could just say, "Oh, you like that cupcake? It's really good." My husband spit it out, just so everyone can, could be like, "Can oh. you believe it?" Yeah, just so everyone would be shocked and would be like, "Yeah, he's crazy." I just like needed Matthew the world fury to know. About yeah, that. like yeah. I posted on Instagram, so everyone would know. It was probably not the holy way Happy to deal birthday, with it, Louise. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But I mean, it was really good.
1: And it was good. It was so good because the buttercream was not too sweet. It was not too sweet. It was the a perfect amount. Remember, we talked about the proportion of icing to cupcake.
0: Yes. And Spot I also on. feel like I, so the other thing is that I was supposed to put sour cream in the cupcake, yes. but I accidentally put cream <laughs> cheese in the cupcake and the batter was so thick and I was freaking out because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to throw away all that batter.
1: I remember so, getting a call in the middle of dinner.
0: Yeah, it's like, wait, I sent like an SOS emoji because I didn't, I just needed to know that it could be okay. So I Googled, but then I just kept adding milk until it became a good consistency. So like as a baker, I felt like I reached a new level of that just I like could ex- eyeball it. Yeah,
1: that's right? expert level baking because yes. baking is not about eyeballing.
0: It's not so it's that's precision. why yes it's a very you measure cooking you can like mm-hmm. you know sprinkle and yeah. taste but baking is precise so mm-hmm. I felt like as a baker I reached a new level you of did. being able to just feel the texture mm-hmm. I
1: mean I can certify it
0: okay so it was <laughs> just like a meaningful thing in my life and then I'm sorry it was about delicious that. yeah so that was my snack <laughs> delicious snack it was um so well saints, should we yeah alms giving. We talk about saints i feel like you should go first because i guessed yours yes yeah. you
1: guessed mine because i gave away too many hints but also it's pretty obvious it was pretty obvious <laughs> yeah. we're talking about almsgiving we're talking about giving to the poor i mean <clears throat> who else are we going to talk about than saint Teresa of calcutta yeah
0: mama t mama t the Mother most Teresa. essential
1: oh my goodness the iconic like saint of almsgiving um I'm gonna refer to her as Mother Teresa because she was alive She's so recent yeah she's so recent she was alive in my lifetime during um a big part of my life and I've just that's how I know her yeah I'm just gonna refer to her that yeah but she is known as Saint Teresa of Kolkata and I don't even know where to start I was so panicked about Mm -hmm. this particular yeah brief because I was like I have like lived through her spirituality this whole Mm -hmm. time and i'm like how am i going to encapsulate this um nobel priest peace prize winner humanitarian just everyone continually called her a living saint yeah Um,
0: we could probably do like multiple episodes on her so just like so just overview
1: i could never do her take
0: the pressure off yeah Whew, this is just. Okay, All right.
1: <laughs> she was born August 26, 1910, in the current capital of the Republic of Macedonia. Her parents are of Albanian descent, and she was baptized as Agnes. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was an entrepreneur. He was like a grocer, and he like traded medicines and other goods, and they were a devoutly Catholic family. Her dad, Nicola, was deeply involved in the local church and in po- politics in his city. And it says that he was a vocal prop- proponent of Albanian independence. Mm. Um, but at the age of eight, when Mother Teresa or Agnes at that time um, was eight years old, her dad, Nicola suddenly just got sick and died. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and they don't know what the cause of his death is. Um, some people have, like, conspiracy theory that, like, Political enemies poisoned him, but that's mm. not a confirmation. Yeah. Um, but after her father's death, uh, Mother Teresa, well, should I call her Agnes at the time? Um, I don't know. It's hard to, me, for me to see her as yeah. Agnes. Okay, but Mother Teresa became, like, really close to her mom. Mm-hmm. And her mom, was, her mom is Drana, and she was this pious, compassionate woman who was very involved in the church. But she was the one that instilled, like, a deep commitment to charity, to her her daughter. Mm -hmm. She always had people at the table with her that were from the community that uh, didn't have anything to eat. She would just bring them in and open her home. And one of her mom's quotes is, my child never eat a single mouthful unless you are sharing it with others. Mm. And when Mother Teresa asked um, as a little girl, like, who are these people eating with us? Her mom would always reply back with, some of them are our relations, like some of them are family, (laughs) but all of them are our people, which I think that was just the seed that just mm-hmm. like blossomed in in her as a little girl. Um, at the age of twelve, she felt a religious a calling to religious life, mm-hmm. and six years later, at eighteen, she decided to become a nun and she set off to Ireland to join the Sisters of Loretto in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there that she took the name Sister Mary Teresa after Saint Teresa of Lisieux. Um, so that was really cool because. I've often seen there's so much mm-hmm. familiarity in her spirituality with St. Therese. And it's funny because um, Teresa is normally spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A. Um, but there was another sister in the congregation that had that name. So oh, she was funny. like, I'm going to take the Spanish spelling of the name. Um, and then after about a year while she was still in her novitiate period of discernment, she traveled to Darjling, India. hmm which is where there's lots of tea plantations, um, and that's where she made her first profession of vows. And she, at that point, she was sent to Calcutta, to which is like one of known as one of the poorest cities in India. Mm-hmm. And she was sent there and assigned to teach at Saint Mary's High School for Girls, which was a school run by the Loretto Sisters, and they were dedicated to teaching this girls from the city's poorest Bengali families, mm-hmm. which is a province in India. And Sister Teresa at the time learned to speak both Bengali and Hindi fluently, which I thought was really cool because yeah. she was Al- Albanian descent, born in Macedonia. And it's not like Bengali and Hindi are like easy languages to yeah. learn or anything near what she was used to mm-hmm. speaking. So she became so fluent in those languages and became one of the people there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Many people had mistaken her for being of Indian descent, just not knowing yeah. her. And so because that's how much she became a part of that culture. Um, but she taught geography and history, and it was, like, her mission to alleviate the girls' poverty through education. Mm-hmm. She really believed education was the way out of poverty. I, love that. I do, too. Um, and just because she was so talented, like, she was, um, like, multi-talented. Like, she was so organized. She was intelligent. She knew how to, like, just get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, by 1944, she became the school's principal. Love that. And... At age 36, like two years after she became principal, she was on a train ride from Calcutta to the Himalayan foothills for like a retreat. And she said, this is when she gets like what's known as the famous call within Mm a call. Yeah. And she said Christ spoke to her and told her to abandon teaching and work in the slums of Calcutta, helping the city's poorest Mm -hmm. and sick people. Um, So it was like, Her initial call was to religious life and to um, being with the Loretto sisters. And then the call, the deeper call within that was to really aid um, the poorest of the poor. Mm -hmm. And so because she has took a vow of poverty, but also obedience, she had to ask permission in order to go do that. So it took a year and a half of like lobbying for that help in order, or like lobbying for that request in order for her to receive approval to start that calling. Mm -hmm. And, she basically went through like six months of medical training, like basic medical training, and then just like started working in the, on the streets of Calcutta slums mm-hmm. with nothing other than a goal of just like helping the unwanted, the unloved and uncared for. Mm. And I, before I continue on with what her um, history is, I just wanted to sprinkle in a quote because she has so many quotes that are just so many. I mean, I didn't even know where to start. But one of the ones that's just one of my favorites is, and really speaks to what her devotion was to the poor and for almsgiving was being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody. I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. hmm. And so she really saw caring for the poor, not just as meeting those physical needs, which she did. She absolutely did. But so much deeper than that was the love that she put into how she cared for the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like she saw Jesus in every single person, and she loved them with just such a deep love, and that love radiated through her, like through her body. It was like she always speaks of like kindness in your eyes and kindness in your smile, mm-hmm. and it was just such a simplicity to like the way that you really care for somebody is through the way that you just genuinely give them love Mm -hmm. and that I think identified her as such a unique spirit in the way that she performed that almsgiving and so eventually she trans like after she got to Calcutta and worked in the streets there she like quickly translated her calling into some concrete actions to help the city's poor. She established a home for the dying destitute and she began the congregation, the missionaries of charity, which is like her famous, um, congregation. And she founded that with only like a handful of members that were former teachers or students from Mm -hmm. St. Mary's where she taught. Yeah. Um, and then over like the course of the 1950s and sixties, she established a leper colony, an orphanage, a nursing home. A family clinic and a string of mobile health clinics. Um, by the time of her death in 1997, the missionaries of charity numbered over 4,000. Wow. Um, and, and then that's not including like all the lay volunteers. There were thousands of lay volunteers mm-hmm. with 610 foundations in 123 countries around the world. Wow. It's just amazing to hear like just one woman's like ability to oh, yeah. change the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of her work of bringing help to suffering humanity. Mm-hmm. And even though she is a Catholic saint, the whole world recognized her yeah. um, for her humanitarian efforts. Mm-hmm. And she just transcended all religions and all um, political parties, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But she did receive criticism. She did, yeah. Yeah, because even though she was helping the poor and... Um, Doing all this humanitarian aid, she never um, drifted away from her Catholic faith mm-hmm. and those um, tenets of the dignity of life and mm-hmm. how that extends from the unborn till death. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so she was vocal about that. And even I think in her acceptance of the Nobel Peace Prize, she talked about the greater destroyer, the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Yeah, and people did not like that because that went against their own values. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she stayed true to that dignity of life. Oh yeah. And that was just such a beautiful, um, courageous, like piece of her. Um, it says after several years of her deteriorating health, she, including heart, lung, and kidney problems, Mother Teresa died on September fifth, nineteen ninety-seven, at the age of eighty-seven. Wow and it wasn't it was only after her death mm-hmm. that it was revealed that she had this spiritual darkness that yeah. um, is pretty well known it was mm-hmm. a it's said to have been about 50 years of spiritual yeah. darkness that it ha- happened soon after she got that call within a call mm-hmm. and she um, just could not feel god's presence she felt like the absence of god yeah. and there's a story where there's like a bishop that she was with and they were in front of the blessed sacrament And after they had finished praying, I think she like either slipped him a note or said to him that it said like, where is Jesus? Mm -hmm. You know, after they were praying and he was so taken aback, like he didn't um, realize that that's what she was going through. And that in itself was such a testament for how she continued her work and continued to live this life of Christ's mission without all the warm fuzzies. Yeah. Um, But some people say that she, Was so united with Christ that it's almost like I wonder, like, could she not tell the difference between herself and Christ? Well, yeah, you know, if there was just there was such a union there that there didn't feel like the separation where she could feel Mm -hmm. his presence separate from her. Yeah, and she often speculated at the end that she was so um, close to Christ that she was participating in in his part of the passion where he's like. Why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. And so that she feels like that period of darkness was just that piece of Christ's life where he was, where he felt forsaken. Yeah. Um, And so I think she can be definitely a inspiration for those of us who feel that dryness, that spiritual dryness, Mm -hmm. and can go to her for um, fortitude and ask for that. Um, One of her one of her famous quotes is I've found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only love, only more love. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to really like that struggle that she had in terms of like the pain of not feeling God's Mm -hmm. presence. But then because of that pain, she loves and she loves the poor. And then she doesn't feel the hurt. She feels more love because of that. And so I, I often look to that saying right there, like when I'm, hurting like mm-hmm. I'm like okay how can I love somebody else and that, yeah that brings more love um, so after her death her ki- like beatification was like expedited yeah it was like the fast at the time the fastest known um beatification so she was beatified in 1998 it looks like or no, I'm sorry, in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a few years afterwards. And then she eventually became a saint after two miracles were confirmed in 2016. So she was yeah. a blessed for a while and then um, became a saint. Um, and at the canonization, um, Pope Francis said that Mother Teresa's life of service was um, in his homily, he said, Mother Teresa, in all aspects of her life, was a generous dispenser of divine mercy, making herself available for everyone through her welcome and defense of human life those unborn, those abandoned and discarded. She bowed down before those who were spent, left to die on the side of the road, seeing them in their God-given dignity. She made her voice heard before the powers of this world so that they might recognize their guilt for the crime of the poverty they created. Um, which Which is powerful words. It speaks to not only her mercy and her giving of herself for the dignity of all, but also for holding those accountable that create those conditions of poverty to exist Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and to be maintained. And that was the other part of almsgiving was an act of justice pleasing to God. Oh yeah. And so to fight for kind of the underdog and fight for the um, disenfranchised, I think was um, a necessary part of that almsgiving. Yeah. And so she really carried that out to her other, one of the things that I love about her, my favorite quote of all that she says is, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Yeah, I love that one. I love that because it just, it speaks of her humility that, yeah, she changed the entire world with it, you know, from one person's love of the poor and following Christ's call for her, um, but still calls herself this little pencil Mm and that she's really just an instrument of God's love and how much he loves the world. She always points it back to God. Yeah. And so she is just such an example of what it means to love deeply and to love uh, all persons, no matter what their um, situation is. Um, One of the other pieces that I thought was just so profound about her is, you know, when you look to a saint like um, Mother Teresa, It's often like, well, I can't be Mother Teresa. I mean, everybody likes it. Like, she's the one that you're like, I'm no Mother Teresa, you know. Um, But even though she did such huge, uh, made such huge changes in the world, so much of what she taught was that um, that poverty of love, Mm -hmm. that's experienced everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have Mm -hmm. to be in the slums of Calcutta to to know somebody who has a poverty of love. Yeah. And she often said that it starts at home, that if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yeah. Because your family is the one that needs your love. And if everyone did that, you know, they love their family in that way, then the world wouldn't be as impoverished of love. And so um, she made that, she made very practical recommendations for people that, you know, it doesn't, they don't, these, you don't need to live in these grand gestures. You can do small things with great love. Yeah. And, you know, not to think that, not to be discouraged by how little we can give. Mm-hmm. That If we all give a little bit, that makes a big difference. We're all just like one drop in the ocean. Yeah, The ocean wouldn't be the ocean without each drop, right? Like so yeah. she she really encouraged all of us in our different vocations to be able to live that same spirituality yeah. and no matter where we were at. And that that's what I, I love about certain saints that even though they do these great feats, they make that accessible to us no matter what, what stage of life we're in.
0: Yeah. She was famous for telling people to find their Calcutta. Oh, I love that. Right. Cause yes. people would always say like, I want to come and work with you. And she would say, yeah. no, find your own Calcutta. Yeah. Like go, there's more people, like you said, either it's like through the poverty of love or just like yes. where you live, there's people who
1: need you too. Yes. So that's a, that's a big thing that I would always think about. Yeah. that, that, Poverty lives everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just looks different for each of us. And I think that that really broadens what almsgiving can be for each of us. Yeah. Is to, um, yes, look at the poor and then also simultaneously look at those who might need your love. Maybe Mm -hmm. someone who looks grouchy and kind of um, rough on the outside. Yeah. That that might be a lack of love and to just be loving just by a smile. Like she Mm -hmm. made things just very simple, very, very much of the flavor of St. Therese. Yeah. and so I just think that that's so inspiring, such mm-hmm. a life well-lived. And she's known as, um, she's talked about as such a saint of light, but she said that she was going to be a saint of darkness. Yeah,
0: because she would always be leaving
1: heaven yes. to light the way of yes. those in darkness. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to be totally absent from heaven. Yeah. Um, another Saint mm-hmm. called back too, I think. Yeah. Um, but that I think is just so beautiful that she wanted to continue her work. Truly. Um, and I think she is, I really do think she is doing that. Oh yeah. Fulfilling that call big time.
0: Yeah. I love her. She's a really big hero of mine and she like had a top 10, definitely top 10, (laughs) which I have made the list and she's
1: officially on it. (laughs) She's in my top 10 too. Yeah. I will tell you the hero of of mine for sure. Yeah. When I
0: was in college, I was like, the only thing that I can do with my life is to go to Calcutta and be a missionary of charity one day.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. Clearly that didn't
0: happen. But Missionaries
1: of Charity here in Dallas. I know. Too. I've never met them. I will take you. Can it's we? so beautiful. They run yeah, a home go. for um, pregnant women and they, they're just, they do beautiful work.
0: It's, yeah. I've never been to their house, but I would really love oh, to yeah. go. And
1: they take donations too. So. Yeah. Food donations too.
0: Let's do it. I want to go. Yep. I want to see them. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Kind of, so, speaking of top 10, I think yeah. this saint, my saint, is on my top 10, but Creeping if not, in. he's on the 11. Because <laughs> I actually sat down and made the list.
1: Okay. Because
0: I was saying that too much. So, I, if he's not on it, we he should be. We should put be. that
1: on our Instagram. Like our your top, top 10. Your, our top 10.
0: Okay. Um, he's should be on it if he's not. I need to double check. I might have to make it like a top 11, because <laughs> uh, mine is St. Peter Claver. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, I
1: don't know much about him at all.
0: So... I don't know what the Holy spirit was doing in my life, but there was a period in my life where I could not read about his life or like hear his story without just like crying.
1: Oh, So I
0: don't know what that was about. Now I can, I was like, I wonder if I'll cry reading this, but I didn't, I read read about his life enough. I I I didn't cry. Isn't
1: that kind of like a gift of the Holy spirit, the gift of tears? Yes, it is. I have it.
0: (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. So I don't know what that was about, but he um so when i was thinking like service to the poor number 1 mother teresa sure, i feel like yeah. she's the teresa avila like prayer yes
1: How, of, like, this, of the almsgiving? right yeah, yeah. teresa
0: avila like wrote the book on prayer Who's she's in the, the teresa catechism of, of prayer
1: fasting we'll have to find that one i don't
0: know i'm <laughs> kind of scared to know um but yeah so mother teresa's like wrote the book on Almsgiving kind yes. of figuratively but then number 2 i feel like st peter claver cool um he called himself the slave of the slave So he, so I'll get into his story, but I just, I would always cry. Um, So he was a Spanish saint. He was born in 1580 outside Barcelona Mm. to a rich farming family. Um, So he had, you know, a pretty easy life growing up. Um, As a university student, he um, was known for being very holy, very into his Catholic faith, and also very intelligent. Um, So he studied there for a while. And it said that in his time at university, he wrote down in his notebook that, Um, I will dedicate myself to the service of God until death on the understanding that I am like his slave. So Mm -hmm. that kind of imagery.
1: I love that.
0: Um, So once he was done studying, he entered the Jesuit order pretty directly. So at the age of 20, he became a Jesuit priest. And um, I didn't know this about him. So it was cool to learn this now. He uh, met St. Alphonsus Rodriguez um, at his order. So at the time not a saint. but just the doorman, which in my study of the saints' lives, so many holy saints were just the doorman. Were doorman, right? Just like the most, like, like almost like the maintenance worker janitor types. Um, So this is like the number third one that I know about. But so this particular brother, um, or he was a lay brother. He was known for his holiness, but also he had the gift of the spirit of prophecy. Oh, wow. Uh, So he would always tell... Peter Claver, you are meant to be in service of those in the colonies of New Spain. Uh, So like Latin America, basically. So he'd always tell him, I think that's where you're meant to go. You should pray about it. Uh, So he did eventually volunteer uh, to go be sent to the Spanish colonies. Uh, I think it was the kingdom of Granada, which is Colombia now which is it still called, I'm been. this is, I should edit this out because I don't know if it's still considered Granada or not, <laughs> but it's basically Columbia. So he was sent to Columbia um, and there is when he finished like studying to be a priest and was ordained. He lived in, you know, with the Jesuits there, but it was during these years that he became deeply disturbed um, by the slave trade. Oh, and the harsh yes. treatment and living conditions of the slaves who were coming from Africa. Yeah. Uh, he was in Cartagena, which is um, was like a huge port. Okay. So it was where the slave ships landed, and yeah. then the trading happened, and oh. then the slaves were then distributed yeah. um, in the area or else are sent to the other colonies. So it was a big hub for slave trade where he was at. Uh, they said that 10,000 slaves came into the port yearly. So it's just a ton of people. And then I do want to do a quick plug. Um, and I think maybe this is why his life always made me cry. But my, I've said before, my sister lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. And in Memphis, they have a civil rights museum. Okay. And it starts with the slave trade. So if you, if you, like they, I just don't, I don't even fully, I think my, my mind kind of blocked it out to protect my heart, but um, they have an exhibit where they just like really make it obvious how tightly these poor people were packed in and what it was like to be on a slave ship oh, and it yes. like I've honestly kind of traumatized me. I
1: I've I don't I have that like yeah. experience of seeing that but I've read about it Yeah, how they I were chained imagine. and laying down. Yes, yes. And just oh, the my. imagery of that alone yeah. just burned in my mind. Yeah, like the imagery
0: yeah. like I got like a I almost had like um like I don't want to say a full-blown panic attack, but just like the claustrophobia, I felt it set in.
1: It's like Uh, human dignity just ripped to the core. Oh, my gosh.
0: So I think kind of that, just like that exhibit with the story, but um, he was seeing these people coming off the boat. Like, that's what Mm. he was immediately seeing. So that kind of influenced his life, basically. Um, He did know another Jesuit named Alonso de Sandoval, and he was um, a really big influence on Peter Claver. He also served the slaves coming into the port. Okay. Um, and he taught, he would help Peter Claver kind of learn like their languages and customs so that they could minister to them. He was more, um, Alonso de Sandoval was more passionate about ministering to the slaves like on the plantations. But Peter Claver was passionate about going into the ships, which is where it was oh, like wow. the yes. worst of the worst so he was really passionate about going onto the actual ships when they, as soon as they landed. So while people were kind of deboarding, he was kind of yeah. doing the opposite thing and diving in. Going in. Uh, so he was seeing all the dead bodies, which is crazy. But he would also go in with medicine and start treating their wounds right away. He oh, would just start goodness. administering medical care to these poor people coming off these ships. Yeah. He, uh, as they were kind of corralled into pens like cattle, okay, he would see. go in there with them and offer them, um, like citrus for scurvy oh. and just like food and bread and water and just start serving them in that way. Yeah. Um, his quote is that he's famous for is that we must speak to them with our hands before we speak with our lips. So I
1: love while, that.
0: Yeah, while he tried to learn their languages, yeah. Uh, you know, the African tribes were many and so diverse he, cultures, yeah, yeah. Very diverse cultures. So he couldn't learn them all. So he ministered to these people without being able to talk to them. Which I've I that's the part that makes me cry. Um yes. because yeah, he. it's estimated that he also baptized 300,000 slaves. Oh my goodness. And I think that's the part that makes, like, always touch my heart because he did that without being able to really speak to them.
1: Just like the universal language of love.
0: Right. Like he would try to learn their customs, like I said, in the language, but for the most part, he really couldn't speak to all of them. Yeah. Like you would think someone should be able to if you're like baptizing, catechizing. He would also right. use like pictures. and like show try to like speak to them in that way so he would just try to connect as well as he could um so he also in like so the slave trade had like seasons so during the heavy season of slaves coming in he was at the ports right there like the first face these people saw um, other than their captors would oftentimes be his like helping them but in the off season he then traveled um, all over ministering to the slaves on plantations. Okay. So um, one thing that I liked is that when he would go visit a new plantation, he would stay to um, to uh, catechize them and care for them. Yeah. And the slave owners would be like, oh, uh, you know, Father Peter's here. Let's <laughs> put him up for the night. He'd be like, and he'd say, no, I'm going to stay with them. So he would oh. stay in the slaves' uh, quarters, quarters or wherever they yeah. were at. He would stay with them. Um. Which I think it's so interesting that the slave owners were like, oh, a priest is here. We should be hospitable to him. Right, and saw then, his
1: dignity. And yeah, then.
0: and then he'd be like, no, I won't. Like, they never thought thought to be like, hey, why, why don't you want my hospitality? Why are you choosing? You know, like they would like they see that and be like, okay, yeah. yeah, just like not... Like, I'm sure there were some people's lives that he touched, but I want to know if, if they ever were like, hey, I wonder why he'd rather be with them than like with me. maybe does he, should I, I ask I,
1: him? Is he on to Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, but one thing that I also thought was interesting was that, um, kind of just like an interest, I don't know, I kind of want to like almost study the culture of the time Yeah. after reading this, but he also would catechize and baptize the slaves because at the time there was this weird like double, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like a weird double standard Yeah, that if people were Christians and they deserved a higher level of treatment than if they weren't, as so slaves, he, yeah. So he would also do that on purpose, so that the slave owners Protection. had to treat them better than yeah. if they weren't. So I thought that was just like I said, a weird double standard thing. But kind of also, he was known for working within the system a little bit. Uh-huh. A way that he has been criticized too is that he technically owned some slaves, okay, but he technically bought them, but uh-huh. then treated them very dignified, yeah, and did not really treat them as slaves he did right. believe in corporal punishment as far as like uh sinning but like for himself too do you know uh, what I mean okay, so he uh-huh. had a very deep like very deep um understanding of like doing what's uh mortification
1: okay yeah so
0: I think he's and received, he, practiced he practiced it, practiced it well, too so. on okay, himself I got you which is a very old school understanding yeah um but so he would practice it on the slaves that he' technically owned but to him they were just like his, it was
1: like for their um sanctification for their or sanctification
0: for their mortification and he technically bought them but it was to free them from the hands of other slave owners okay. if that makes sense so he has received some criticism for that yeah I can but
1: see why that could I, be tricky
0: it is tricky but I also see it as the way that he were had to work within the system that mm-hmm. he was a
1: in right you
0: know so like the way that he would catechize and baptize slaves uh just so that they would be treated better
1: yes you know and the way that he would yeah yeah,
0: he had he knew that he couldn't change the system yeah so he worked within it in the ways that he could right uh so i did want to bring that up yeah but i do also feel like that doesn't discount his love for them
1: right i and i have to imagine i mean just this is probably out of my own um ignorance i'm saying this but Mm -hmm. if you spend part of your life going into the slave shifts and seeing um, lives at that lowest point Mm -hmm. of where they were stripped of of all dignity i have to imagine that just changes you as a person oh yeah and so even in the context of i mean if you zoomed in and said he bought slaves yeah that would look really damaging and Mm -hmm. really um kind of a blow to the character but if you zoom out and look at the whole picture it's almost seems impossible that there's not this empathic piece of what his motivation was to do that yeah. and that it may not have been from a power dynamic but more of a um, love for a fellow brother and her, her sister and trying to like do what he can within his powers to help them
0: right yeah it was very much I see is like for me like my meditation on that was that I know so many people that are like Okay, it's just an example. Like I don't get into politics because it's all corrupt and I don't know anything <laughs> about it because nothing's going to nothing's gonna help our political system or like our political state. I've heard so many people say, oh, I don't really get into politics. There's no point. So I feel like St. Peter here and that, like there's so many people who could say, I mean like, there's so many people who were like, "I hey, just owning slaves is normal. Like yes. it's just how our world is."
1: I've, and, I've heard that argument many times, and Yeah. it always gets it into was my just skin. known like, to people. They like were the, just like, "That was just part of the times." Yeah, and that was just the. But time. you could say that for abortion. Now, yeah. Right. Um, and so I love that Saint Peter Claver was not desensitized exactly to that.
0: Yeah. So he, you know, knew that he couldn't one person stop this entire terrible dehumanization and we like how long did that take to really be completely dismantled like it's still not yeah it's not exactly (laughs) so instead of like trying to be like well I can't dismantle the whole thing yeah like he had to figure out how he could be holy and help people within the system that he could not fully fight so it wasn't a way to kind of um help them to be away from people who would have hurt them yeah so and then the other thing is that he like he called himself the slave of the slaves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he practiced heavy mortification on himself, mm-hmm. but he also did not, he lived in a way that was, uh, kind of in solidarity with the slaves. So he would intentionally, uh, like, kind of starve himself, like, he would only eat what the slaves could eat. Okay, so if, I was
1: gonna ask you to expand on what it means, like, mortification, just for any of our listeners. Just like, what does that look like?
0: I may, maybe we should cut this out because I don't fully like mortification because it's hard for me to understand. Yeah. But how would you describe it? Kind of a
1: deprivation of comfort or yes. um, certain needs, like, kind of an old school mortification, you would wear like a sackcloth under your tunic to just have this discomfort and that discomfort would remind you of um, Christ's passion on the cross.
0: Right. So he engaged in that. So if um, the slaves on whatever plantation he was staying at and ministering to at the times Mm -hmm. did not have food and were starving, then he would starve himself too. Right. So, um, and he also like intentionally lived um, like kind of homeless Mm. because the slaves did not have good places to live. So he like made sure he never lived in a way that was above how the poorest people were living.
1: I feel like his ideology is like, in order to serve them, I have to know how they live so I I can know what they need.
0: Very much. He became, wanted to become like them. Um, Yes, so that in the, so there's a lot of things about his life that make me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. In a good way. In a good way. Just like the way that he was in this world and trying to not let it, not be, like you said, desensitized. Right. So I've always been touched by just like his radical love in that way. Yeah. Um, another thing about his life that is kind of uncomfortable for me is that um, at, when he was old, um, older and just kind of, you know, his life was coming to an end, he was living back at the Jesuit house mm-hmm. and they did hire someone. It was a former slave mm-hmm. to be his caretaker. Okay, uh, So this person was, you know, a paid help at the Jesuit house. But for whatever reason, he was not very attentive to St. Peter and just kind of forgot about him.
1: Aww. And so
0: in his final days, St. Peter was basically kind of like experiencing elder abuse. Oh, like no. he, yeah, he was um, not very well fed or taken care of, but he never told anyone, <laughs> uh, which I need to figure out how we even know that. Maybe the guy eventually confessed, but he never told anyone because he felt like that was what he, he have said he deserved I don't think he deserved it, but just as like again, like mortification, solidarity with people who also had experienced great uh suffering in right. pain, he felt like he needed to just bear it silently.
1: He sounds like the kind of saint that when they experience that kind of suffering, he doesn't go back to like himself and be like, Oh, poor me, I'm suffering. He unites it with like this collective like suffering of humanity. Right. And so it's like, I need this.
0: Yeah. And I've heard a couple of saints, um, who kind of suffered silently in this way. I heard one of them, I think it was St. Dominic Savio, who was a child, but, um, he kind of said, uh, that he was united to Christ when Pilate questioned him and he didn't say anything back. Wow. That in that kind of suffering was kind of what he wanted to be united to, that I could suffer silently as Christ did. So like you said, it's like this weird, weird, like almost like kind of metaphysical yes. trying to be united to Jesus Union. in like every single way.
1: Right. I mean, that's just like one tiny snippet of mm-hmm. Jesus' life. And that became like this cornerstone for him. Right. so cool.
0: Yeah. So, um and again, like I reading the lives of the saints can sometimes be challenging. And yeah. when I was in college, I felt like I needed... You know, I'd be like, well, I'm not gonna be a saint because I don't want to be <laughs> elder abused in my final and that's it's impossible for me. But again, it's like kind of that thing that we've talked about before where like uh not everyone is called to that in that moment. Yeah. Uh and I also don't feel like if Saint Peter had been like, Hi, I'm being abused and I'm old and I'm dying, I don't think <laughs> Jesus would have like counted that against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that St. Peter did offer it is still beautiful.
1: Right. Um, just kind of adds to the saintliness Right.
0: And we're not all called to do that. And if we don't feel like we can, that's not like a strike on our record yeah, or anything. Yeah. I'm
1: totally calling it out if I get abused when yeah. I'm not. <laughs> Oh, me too. Uh,
0: so there's just like, I felt like his life is so, like so full of love, but there's also just like, almost in reading it, like this heaviness, kind of like what you said, like mm-hmm. uh, Mother Teresa's quote of like, we have to love till it hurts. Yes. I feel like he is kind of like an example of like what she means (laughs) a little bit sorrowful love that just makes
1: him be able to love more deeply
0: yeah like truly united with the like the suffering jesus on the cross yes um is kind of his vibe which when you think about the people that he said he would devote his life to serving like if he had like a really happy life then he probably didn't do it right you know what i mean like he specifically chose to serve people who experienced the most horrific treatment that we've have ever have known record of, you know? Yes. So I think it kind of makes sense that his life was messy and painful and uncomfortable, and uncomfortable for us to read through. Right. Um, so when he eventually did die, um, uh, his room became kind of like a place of like, what's the word? Um, pilgrimage for people, his room okay. at the Jesuit house. Oh, nice. um, they would come and try to like take things from there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting the, St. Peter would speak truth to power, so he would kind of stand in like the the town squares and kind of just preach to whoever would hear um, about the atrocities that were happening. And so he wasn't he was very well known in town and very disliked by you know the magistrates. Yeah, Yeah. very polarizing. You know, the city officials did not like him. Um, But when he, you know, when he died, uh, they still had this huge like pomp and circumstance for him. Like they rolled out the red carpet for him. So in this way, like they kind of didn't like him when he was alive, but then after his death, they could recognize the impact that he had on their city and culture. Um, So I thought that was also like kind of, another dichotomy of his life too. Yeah. In Um, living,
1: he was so criticized and then dying. Right. And then only
0: the number of people that he actually baptized and touched were known after his death when they all came out to his funeral.
1: I want to say just that piece that he was able to baptize people without knowing their language Mm -hmm. and catechize them. Like if you're worried about like how can I evangelize, just think of Saint Peter Claver. Yeah, he didn't even know the language and he was able to baptize people. Yeah, so exactly. The very least we could do is like, you know.
0: Just love someone. Love someone. Be with them in their darkest moment, Be, maybe. Jesus
1: to others yeah. just by your love.
0: Now, that is always like when I read his story, I'm like, uh, like it's uncomfortable. But that is the part where I'm always like, But so the love that he yeah. must have shown these people. Um So another, so I think it's really cool that in 1888, he was canonized along with, um, Alphonsus Rodriguez, who was the, the porter, um, who uh, initially told him to go and preach to, uh, be a missionary to the new, the new, um, colonies of Spain. And then I kind of also wanted to end on this. Um, the Knights of Peter Claver is the largest African American, uh, Catholic fraternal organization, So they're kind of, uh, you know how we have the Knights of Columbus traditionally, the Knights of Peter Claver is something for black Catholics to kind of live out. And it, you know, they do the same thing pretty much that the Knights of Columbus do as far as uh, the charitable work and parish support, but they are the Knights of uh, Peter Claver so that they kind of take on his, take on his name as their patron and his mission. Right. And then on that, there are the missionary sisters of St. Peter Claver and their religious order who are dedicated to serving um, the spiritual and social needs of uh, people all around the world, but particularly in Africa is where, um, where they mostly work. And um, they were founded in Austria, and their founder is a blessed, which I thought was so cool, that uh, there's like another person, we could go down the rabbit hole of her life, but uh, just to say that she, um, he's still by um, the black community, the black Catholic community is seen as one of their the heroes of their faith, and for sure an ally, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he's always been someone that I feel um, just really humbled. I think the word yeah, humbled a when deep I read their life. humility to yeah.
1: his service. And just, yeah. What a social justice warrior. Oh, too, for sure, right?
0: definitely. So I just off, always felt really struck by his life. Um, and just like the radical way that he served people who no one else was serving at the right. time,
1: so I, I think that's just such a key point of almsgiving is it's to go into these uncomfortable places because mm-hmm. of the life of comfort we've been given, that part of uh, holiness is to sit in that in that place with other people. And that discomfort that you feel is not necessarily like a bad thing, but it's like bringing you closer to Christ mm-hmm. and um those two saints i just feel like were just the epitome of that
0: yeah so heavy like i feel like these were like really heavy ones but like yeah. alms is kind of heavy
1: it is heavy but in just like kind of the best way yeah um it, it really grounds you and then i don't know there's just a gratitude for the life you've been given once mm-hmm. you once you see that you're changed by that and yeah. i i know the first time i went to india I was twelve years old, and we went to Mumbai, which also is known at that time also, especially, was known for its slums. Mm-hmm. And the poverty there is just very different than the poverty we mm-hmm. see here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and the slums are just are very, very impoverished. Yeah. And I remember children just begging on the street and they were children like not much younger than I was yeah. at the time. And I just remember like crying into my dad's like chest, like it's mm-hmm. like, how can it be like this? And he tells me the story that I like emptied all his pockets. I so, looked yeah. Just like try to give them whatever we could. But I'm um, experiencing that, seeing that in another life. Yeah. Just, it changes you. Mm-hmm. And so and for your own betterment. So we are blessed by their example. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. Well, on yeah. that yeah note, that should note. we go to blessings and burdens? Yeah. Okay. Who should um, go first? I'll
0: go first. All right. Uh, because my blessing, <laughs> my blessing is food related again. Nice. Um, okay. I made, finally, for the first time in my life, I made the perfect Mexican rice. Ooh. Which, so I don't know if this is a thing in your culture, but- <laughs> Okay, so I feel like for some reason, rice, if you're not just making white rice and like a rice cooker, yeah. just like getting the right texture and consistency and flavor is very hard. Yes. I it's can like make curries hard. and
1: do all this stuff, but like the rice is always the hardest part for me. Yes. I don't know
0: why. I don't know why either. Just like, so when I make it, it either comes out like too crunchy or yes. too watery or too sticky, yep. but I finally got the perfect texture <gasps> Congratulations. and the perfect flavor combination. Cause like. Mexican rice is actually made with like tomatoes. Yeah. That's why it's got like that red kind of hue. Right. Um. So sometimes I'll make it and it tastes like straight tomatoes and it's gross. <laughs> and I've always kind of feel discouraged to make it because they waste so much rice and food trying mm. to make. Anyway, I just got like a wild feeling yesterday, <laughs> like I was going to do it and I did it. it and it was delicious. And I, well, okay, I did accidentally burn like half of it onto the pot because i just wasn't watching but that's
1: a whole other thing because they're in some cultures oh yeah eastern cultures the like rice that's oh i love the burnt
0: crunchy rice but it was like black
1: burned so uh, like i can't so
0: i did waste like probably 75 percent of it but what i had was delicious and i almost ate it all (laughs) so that's like a huge blessing for me because i feel like that's a
1: big one yeah
0: being able to like i felt like i reached a new level of like a Mexican wife that I can like make rice if for we my had a family. soundboard
1: I would have that one where the audience is like cheering yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that's like I feel like a rite of passage yes to be able to give I'm rice to my family yes yes and this is so a cultural that, thing yeah so that was like I was like texting my mom <laughs> and my mother-in-law and then my mom was like stop texting me I'm pr- at a rosary and I was like tell them all about my rice <laughs> <laughs> prayers was just, have been answered yes it was just like a big moment for me so that's that was my blessing I'm of proud of you thank you <laughs> my burden is just that I'm so tired Ben is yeah. like going through I think just like well he's got two new teeth in two at the same time so They're
1: really cute teeth also <laughs>
0: <laughs> two teeth so he's been very uncomfortable so and he's just throwing his sleep for a loop he's been fighting naps which means like Bedtime is hard and sh- basically, I'm just exhausted. I'm usually exhausted, but like very exhausted. So. Yes,
1: it's like next level exhaustion right yes, now. Yes, so very tired. Okay, but mm-hmm. so pray for his team. I'm hoping that's temporary, but Please. I will be praying for his team because he has such a cute smile right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna start with burden so I can end with blessing this. Okay, time. um, my burden is my fridge broke. <gasps> no, this is not good. No, and I. I've had this fridge for maybe 18 years and I'm very um, averse to buying new appliances because my old ones have worked for so long. Mm -hmm. So our fridge is not working, but by the grace of God, we have a small fridge in our garage and we've been using that. So we still have able to get by. Yeah. Um, But I need to go look for a new fridge I think that's really the burden is oh, like for looking sure. for a new fridge I don't envy you we had when we
0: moved we had to get like an all-new fridge and it was yeah yeah I don't know why this is Prayers bothersome, for a but yeah. thank you no thank you. it is
1: my blessing is call to religious life specifically nuns because of one one mother Teresa mm-hmm. um, and just the influence nuns have had in my life personally just within mm-hmm. my family Um, But today, I wanted to go to Mass in the morning. We have 7 a.m. Mass here. Mm -hmm. And I don't live far from the church, but I left my house at 6.50, and it takes like at least eight to nine minutes to get from here to St. Anne's, Mm -hmm. like on a good day. But the highway was like shut down, like three Mm -hmm. lanes were shut down, so I had... I knew I was going to miss, like, a big part of it. Yeah. But I ended up getting there, and normally I sit, like, second row, Mm -hmm. left side. I mean, I have my spot. (laughs) And, of course, all of that was filled. And the only spot that I kind of, like, um, felt prompted to was I I found a seat, and it was next to Dominican nuns that were sitting there. And it, it was... I was just being feeling nervous about, you know, okay, well, I have to talk about Mother Teresa and how am I going to do this? Yeah. And I was like, God, like, surrounded me, like, on the side and in front of me with all these beautiful nuns. And I was like, oh, Lord, like, you're just, you know, like, the bomb for my soul. Yay! And the nun that um I approached afterwards I was like please can you pray for me because I'm going to be on a podcast today <laughs> and she just had such a joy in her eyes and that just really reminded me of Mother Teresa too of that just kindness in your eyes kindness in your smile and so I know that if there's any success here it's because that sister was praying for me so yay, religious sisters shout I, out I love you yeah <laughs> well awesome that's all Go I'm out God. there and do some almsgiving in whichever way you find. find Give your, all the alms. Find your Calcutta. Find it, yeah. God bless. Bye.